Welcome to Facts from the Field with Egg Valley, where we discuss agronomic and agriculture topics to help you keep your operations successful. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Facts from the Field. We will be discussing the grain market, both domestically and internationally. I'm Cindy Kester, a grain originator for Ag Valley Co-op, and today I have Fran Tuff, a grain merchandiser, and Jim Warren, a market analyst from CHS Hedging, with me. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me on today. So as we come up on the March planning intentions and supply and demand report, what are your thoughts on the acres battle going on between corn, beans, and wheat? Well, I think there's a lot of moving parts there. We have type stocks in corn and soybeans. And so the market is trying to get prices high enough to encourage more acres being planted of those crops. But then these other crops don't want to lose acres to corn and beans because they don't have that big a surplus. So you've got crops like canola, corn, uh, rice, milo, cotton, rallying also trying to keep hold of acreage. We haven't seen so much in the spring wheat. I thought it might rally strong too to keep spring wheat acres up in the Dakotas, but it hasn't so much. So we've got that going on. We just had crop insurance. Uh, gave us some good insurance guarantees for farmers. It's a 2.52 ratio between the corn and beans on the insurance. So that may be a little supportive for the soybean acres. Then you've got prevent plant acres. We had a very large 10.2 million acres last year prevent plant. And think about the lowest we've seen in the last 25 years is just over a million. So there's around 9 million acres that could come in to help uh, get us more corn and bean acres there. Plus, there was, uh, let's see, 2.6 million acres coming out of CRP last September. Now, a lot of that was in some marginal states, which probably won't be corn and beans, but at least uh, a little over a million could go to corn and beans. So that kind of brings me up to my concern that uh, the acreage might be actually a little bit bigger on the March 31st report than some people are thinking. The USDA forums had they thought we'd have around 92 million acres of corn and 90 million of soybeans, which totals 182 million. Well, that would be the biggest corn plus bean acre on record. If you add in wheat, we're actually about uh, 3 million acres higher than that in 2014. So add in the CRP and the prevent plant, and we do have the potential to be even higher than that. And I've had numerous clients tell me that uh, they are going to be taking out some hay ground and maybe some pasture. So as I mentioned, that's my concern about the report is even though it looks like big acres, they could surprise us with bigger acres. And I'd like to have some protection on new crop prices ahead of that, just in case. There's a lot of talk of wheat being fed in the place of corn. And are you seeing that? I'm seeing a lot more of that. We've had the wheat corn spread come into, let's see where today, uh, on the May, Kansas City, Kansas City versus corn, 40 cents. Uh, July, 63 and a half cents. Those are very low premiums of wheat over corn. And in fact, on cash basis in uh, Colorado and Texas, I've had some people tell me 92 to 93% the value of corn. So wheat is being definitely being put into rations in those areas. I even heard of one feedlot going up to 60% uh, of the corn number. So that sounded awful high to me and unusual, but uh, we're definitely seeing that switch down the Southern Plains. Okay. 
Okay. We want to talk a little bit about China. And I know there was some news today about China. Um, their ag minister saying that they should be feeding more wheat. Did you see that in the reports? Yeah, I did. And they are coming out with some plans to try to get the feed mills to use more alternative feedstuffs. Uh, but we have been seeing that in the past couple of months. Uh, if you remember, what was it, in January, we saw that they were buying wheat from, I think it was India. It's like the first time in decades that they bought from them feed wheat to be able to substitute in place of corn. We've seen that in the past too with China. I, I keep thinking back to when we uh, put the tariffs on in, uh, I think it was 2018. And immediately, we found out later, immediately China started buying all kinds of oil seeds around the world, even Ethiopia, they bought soybeans to try to avoid buying soybeans from us. So we've seen in the past, they can be very creative on ways of getting around tight supplies. So I, I expect that too here, that we'll see that as well. They'll find ways to not have to buy as much corn and soybeans as uh, a lot of analysts are thinking. Right, so that's, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. They've been a huge buyer of soybeans and corn. So there's a lot of concern that they'll be doing what they sometimes do and canceling those sales. Do you have any feelings about that? What do you think could happen there? Well, first, I think to put it in perspective, we've already shipped on the boat uh, almost 97% of the soybean sales we made to them. So there's very little they can cancel uh, that they have on the books right now on the soybeans. But we've only shipped about 40% of the corn sales we've made to them. And that's, uh, that's not counting the, the past three days of big sales either. So there is still a lot that they could cancel. It is constructive that they're still buying from us. And uh, last week was the second highest shipments on record of corn. Uh, not so much to China, but we are getting it shipped out. But I think that's one of the reasons why USDA has been slow to raise their export estimate for us, because a lot of analysts are complaining that they're too low. And if you look at the sales on the books, they're right. But I think they're a little cautious that China could cancel and they don't want to you know, raise it up and then drop it right back again. So that'll be something that we'll, we'll see numbers about in the report that comes out on the 31st or not? No, we... That will come out on the weekly export sales report every Thursday morning. Uh, they will tell us how much was shipped out and how much sales is left to, uh, to be shipped. On the March 31st report, we get two reports that day. We get the planning intentions for the spring crops. And then we also get the quarterly stocks report, the amount of grain in inventories here in the U.S. on farm and off farm. Um, so we also want to talk a little bit about what's going on in Brazil with um, the wet weather during harvest there. There's, there's been a lot of talk. That the, the beans are, you know, not in good shape because of the length of the haul and how long they sat in the field, sat on trucks. Um, so those damaged beans, will they hit the market in a different way to say if they had a good crop of good beans. Yeah, I think we've all seen videos of, of the sprouted beans in the field, the trucks that were set up and looks like concrete in there. So of course those are gonna be a different issue. But from what I've been hearing is it's, it's more localized. I haven't really heard a percentage of the area, definitely damage down there. They do crush and use about one third of their production down there domestically. So 
those soybeans that are damaged would probably would not be going to export and doesn't look like they would be able to be blended for export, but they could crush them domestically. And I have no idea what it, how it affects the oil content, but you can't think it would be any good. I don't really see that as having a big picture effect on the market down there. You know, there seems to be, well, I don't follow currencies all that much, but I know you do. There sort of seems to be a, a lot of odd currency things going on with the Chinese currency, the U.S. dollar, and then the Brazilian real. And so what are your thoughts on how that could affect the export situation for grains? You bet. Well, the first thing I want to say about the currencies is just give guys uh, an idea of how it works between countries. When the our dollar is strengthening, it makes our prices look higher to another country in their currency because it takes more of their currency to buy our dollar to get the goods and and vice versa. And so when you see uh, the Brazil real currency weakening, it means that a country buying from Brazil may be able to get it cheaper because of that currency dropping. China is wanting to buy, so it's in their best interest to have a strong currency of their own because it takes less of their currency to buy the other countries' currency to buy the goods. And that's what we've been seeing. Their currency has rallied and strengthened sharply since these grain rallies took off and their buying program. So we've seen that in the past where as long as they're buying and and filling up reserves, they have a strong currency. So that's one of the things that's been on my radar is to watch if I see their currency weakening it may be a sign that they're getting close to have uh, bought all that they plan to. And uh, we have seen the uptrend break just in the last week of their currency. It is not dropping really, it's, it's just went sideways, but it has stopped appreciating against, uh, against the dollar now. And our currency has been rallying and strengthening more. So that could uh, hinder us a little going forward on making our prices not as attractive as before. In fact, we saw Taiwan just the other day bought corn from Argentina instead of us. Argentina is getting close to their corn harvest. So the currency difference is all already having an effect there. So other than the strength and weakness of currencies, what other factors do you see as significant to world trade? Well, some things that I don't think a lot of people have been talking about is uh, ocean freight, for one. Uh, It's near multi-year highs. When demand for ocean freight is high, a lot of goods being traded around, the cost of freight goes up. So that is a sign that the world economy is recovering, and it it does help push up petroleum prices to, to run the boats. But that higher cost of freight can change where a country buys their goods from. Like we, we see that affect us a lot on the wheat trade, where countries that are closer to the Middle East get more of the business over there than we do. A lot of the time, not because their wheat is so much cheaper, but because of the freight cost. It costs so much to get it over there, and especially as freight is near uh, multi-year highs. Also, we've seen tariffs being put on. Russia has a program there. So holding them off the market now as they're trying to restrict exports does help us be a little more competitive currently. Right. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the ethanol market? I think I'm like most of the trade, just trying to figure out exactly where this new administration is going to take us on their plans for the ethanol uh, mandate, uh, how that will affect demand. We've definitely seen 
gas demands pick up since the pandemic a year ago. So that's a good sign because more gasoline we use, the more ethanol we'll need. But there are definitely people nervous about the longer term programs on ethanol because if it's something that may be lessened to whatever extent, it's uh, almost 40% of our corn demand. So that could have drastic effect on our corn prices in the years ahead if we don't keep some program going here. And then there's a lot of speculation about hedge funds and how that's going to affect the markets, the grain markets and all commodities markets. And there's even talk that we're going into another period like the 70s or the early 2000s when we're going to see a super cycle of ongoing higher prices and commodities. Do you have any thoughts on the hedge funds and that that idea about the super cycle kind of upward trend in commodities? Yeah, I think we've already been seeing it in, in the form of the index funds. The hedge, hedges there have been buying consistently for quite a few weeks. And inflation has, has already been showing up in numerous areas. I noticed the other day that hot rolled coil steel futures have almost tripled since last fall. That's going to trickle down into uh, all kinds of costs, added costs, you know, equipment, uh, inputs. We've seen it on fertilizer strong rallies there, lumber, record, all-time record highs. And part of that is recovery in the economy, but it is showing up as inflation. And even uh, yesterday, the Fed said that they expect 2.4% inflation by the year end. So they're finally saying that they see some signs that it could increase. And in inflationary periods, funds and large investors like to place some investments in tangible goods like commodities, because as a, the value of a dollar decreases, the tangible items increase in value. Not that they're more worth more, it's just that the dollar is worth less. And so they find that as a way to hedge against inflation and possibly make money on it. We are looking at very high levels in corn, beans, and wheat. And the tendency, I believe, is to kind of do nothing, you know, let the market kind of grind higher is the thought. To me, not protecting that profitability is, you know, not making a decision is actually a decision to not protect that profitability. I know you have some thoughts about that as well. Yeah, I totally agree with you. You are making a decision when you do nothing. And I know a lot of farmers have been sitting on their hands because the prices kept going higher and higher. But at these levels, I think you need to start taking advantage of them if you haven't. If you still have a, a strong market opinion that we're going to see higher prices down the road, we'll do some sort of minimum price strategy. Get a floor underneath your crops. You don't want to risk missing these great prices here. So I think you need to have something on the book. There's different ways you can do it. You can do a hedge to arrive. If you think that the basis is going to improve, you can use over-the-counter strategies to get a premium on some of your early sales or just doing a, a minimum price strategy through the elevator. So there are different ways you can put a floor and still leave the upside open. Right. At these levels, we, we would have been selling like crazy, what, a year ago? And now it seems difficult to pull the trigger. Right. Yeah. It, uh, we get bulled up fast as a farmer. And then I'm always interested to know if anybody can come up with any, you know, black swan type events, things nobody's thinking about really, and by their nature, nobody is thinking about them. But uh, do you have an idea of something that could be of that nature coming to the market that would cause it to go, you know, sharply lower, or sharply higher? Well, you're right. They can't be predicted by definition. 
Uh, but there's two thoughts that initially come to mind to me. One is the CME just increased position limits for the spec funds on Monday, uh, almost double, depending on what months you're looking at. So that will allow for much larger moves either direction, in my opinion. It just opens a door to it. It doesn't mean it has to happen, but if they can uh, buy or sell twice as much, uh, yeah, it, it definitely could open the door to more volatility. And the second thing is I keep watching all of these analysts and, uh, and the USDA forum printing out near record exports for next year's crop. That could happen two years in a row, but if everybody's leaning that way and we've got these prices, which are buying acres everywhere, you know, the Brazil on top of the good prices for their next year's crop, they're going to add incentives to plant more acres. China's doing the same thing. They're trying to get their own farmers to plant more corn this current year. So to me, a black swan event would be uh, anything that would reduce the amount of exports on next year's crop, which could be a good growing season here. It could be a lot bigger acreage corn and beans planted this year than expected. Anything like that that would uh, reduce our exports, I don't think the market is is looking for something like that. Right. And at these prices, you will get the acres in wheat in particular. It seems like when wheat gets up pretty high, then it's planted in a lot more places than we even realize has wheat. So that's what I've seen. Anyway, so. Right. Yeah. Thank you for joining me today, Jim and Fran. And I, I like talking to you both about it. I hope we can do this another time. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it also. Yeah, thanks a lot, Cindy. Thank you for listening to this edition of Facts from the Field. For more information about Egg Valley Co-op, visit us at eggvalley.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.